1: Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.
0: Hi, I'm Debbie Millman. Canva is great for designing visual content for work, no matter what industry or department you work in. Now, your next presentation with Canva Presentations.
2: I think a lot of times people assume that I'm posting something because I agree with it or don't agree with it, or but it, you know it's hard to tell. And I, you know, but I think if you know you've been reading for ten years, you you probably know who I am a little bit, I guess, and what what I think about things and why I'm posting certain items. From the TED Audio Collective, this is Design Matters with Debbie Millman.
3: For 17 years, Debbie Millman has been talking with some of the world's most creative people about what they do, how they got to be who they are, and what they're thinking about and working on. And now, some of those interviews appear in print in Debbie's brand new book, Why Design Matters, Conversations with the World's Most Creative People. It's coming out in February of 2022. In anticipation of the book, every Thursday, we're going to be releasing an interview from the archives, in addition to our new episodes that come out on Mondays. We thought it would be fun for listeners to hear not only some great interviews, but also to hear how the podcast has evolved over the years. In January of 2013, Debbie interviewed Jason Kotke
2: about the joys and perils of writing his long-running blog. My readers are like science nerds who also like literature, but also play stupid iOS games. Jason Kotke, after the break.
0: Jason Kotke offers what he calls fine hypertext products. The scroll of Kotke.org reveals the mathematics of elevators, color pictures of Paris in 1914, a bit on what jellyfish can teach us about immortality, and 13 minutes of Russian car crashes. And that's just the postings from one week. The site includes over 20,000 entries, and has been published regularly since 1998. In the years between, he designed a popular typeface called Silk Screen, lived for a year on micropayments from his readers, and won a bloggy Lifetime Achievement Award. Jason Kotke, welcome to Design Matters. Thanks, Debbie. So the first question I have for you is something I think a majority of your loyal followers are clamoring to know— Why haven't you come after Steven Spielberg, who has been steadfastly stating that he, and not you, is the director of Jurassic Park?
2: Uh, You're a very close reader of my about page, and that's, (laughs) that's like a little Easter egg I stuck in there just to have some fun.
0: So your site is one of the longest continually running blogs on the web. Having been in operation for what you state as approximately 14.756 years, and you've published over 21,000 entries, what made you decide to start it in the
2: first place? I was working as a web designer in 1998. And in my spare time, I was also doing this site called Oscillate, kind of an episodic website where, you know, every few weeks I would produce something that would stand alone, you know, sort of on its own as, a, as an episode. And around that time, people started doing these things called weblogs and people had been doing diaries and, and things like that. And I decided that I wanted to try my hand at it and sort of produced what became Kotka.org as an episode of Oscillate. So it started as an episode, and then it just kind of lived on, and I eventually moved it from Oscillate to Kotki.org.
0: Do you consider yourself to be an editor, a curator, a writer, a designer, a developer, a blogger? How do you describe what you do?
2: I think I'm most comfortable with blogger. I tend to stay away from the curating sort of terminology and whole thing. How come? Curating strikes me as a term that's a little bit uh, highfalutin, Ah. if if you catch my drift there. And, you know, what I do is not... Highfalutin. Highfalutin (laughs) at all, I don't think. You know, it's like 13 minutes of Russian car crashes, you know, isn't highbrow material. But that's only
0: one small part of what you offer your readers. I mean, some of it, I don't know that it would necessarily be highfalutin to curators, But I think that there's certainly quite a lot of seriousness to what you write about. And certainly your writing seems to be something that
2: people take very seriously. Yeah, that's true. Um, The thing I like about blogging or blogger as a a term is that I think a lot of people for a long time were very dismissive of people who had blogs and who wrote blogs and, you know, still are to a certain extent. And, you know, I, I like embracing that term. And being yeah, I'm a blogger. This is my blog and this is what I do. And you know, even though it's a horrible, ugly sort of word that doesn't roll off the tongue. Yeah, I think
0: <laughs> Heather Armstrong says that it sounds like a venereal disease. Yeah, but,
2: uh, <laughs> you know, just sort of like yeah, exactly.
0: Now I read an interview wherein someone asked you how it felt to be internet old and you responded, sometimes it feels as though I've overstayed my welcome at a party like really overstayed. Like the hosts come out of their bedroom the next morning and there I am at the kitchen table eating breakfast and asking when they'll be home for dinner overstayed. Mm -hmm. And yet you're still staying.
2: I I guess part of it is just that I've done it so long that it's just part of who I am. And so that's one piece of it. Um, I also know how to, you know, I've got the 10, you know, Malcolm Gladwell sort of idea of the 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. Like I've got that in and so I... You know, it's like a second nature sort of thing to me. I can just do it. It's not something I have to think about doing. So when you do things that you don't have to think about doing, there's not a lot of stress involved. So it's a very easy thing to want to keep doing. But sometimes, you know, there's, there's obviously like I get burnt out sometimes and I don't want to do it anymore. And sometimes I really enjoy it and I'm really like into it. And there's a little bit extra that I put into it when I'm really enjoying it.
0: Where are you right now in that continuum?
2: I think right now I'm, you know, there have been a couple of recent events. Um, Hurricane Sandy was one, and the uh, shootings in Connecticut was another. And, you know, those two events have really got me thinking, like, okay, what, you know, I've got this big platform. Mm -hmm. You know, I have hundreds of thousands of people reading, and, you know, what, what, what do I want that to be doing? I think in the past I haven't thought too much about that. I've just sort of sort of been a filter. You know, I read a bunch of stuff and whatever I find particularly interesting, I write about it and then I put it out there and it's not saying anything. It's not getting people into action or anything like that. But, you know, you have these events where it's like thousands and millions of people are affected and, you know, you have things issues like climate change and gun control and it's like, okay, what, what, you know, maybe I should be doing something else with, with this readership that I have, maybe I should be telling them to do something or maybe I should be, tell, you know, encouraging them to, you know, to think about these these more weighty issues and, and sort of leave the, you know, the funny videos and, and whatever behind.
0: Well, very interesting reaction from what happened after Sandy and now what's happened after the shooting in Connecticut after Sandy, you sort of stop writing for a while. It seemed that you found real disdain in the notion of entertaining anybody at that point or being light or frivolous, whimsical, and so you stopped writing for a couple of days, if not mm-hmm. longer. Whereas now there's actually been quite a lot of activity online about how much you're writing about gun control in a very positive way. Mm-hmm. And Probably in these last couple of months, I feel more Jason in the space of Kotki.org as mm-hmm. opposed to just being someone that is providing information or inspiration. There's more of a point of view. Is that something that you feel is intentional and deliberate or more coming from your reaction to these events?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it is just reaction. It's not me saying, like, I'm injecting more of my personality into the site. It's coming from a place of... Not thinking about it, being emotional about it, being reactive to things that are happening that are, you know, terrible and scary and affecting my family. And it's like being like a protective father. You know, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old and and I don't want us to fuck up the planet for them. I don't want them living in a country with 300 million guns and, and people carrying concealed weapons everywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean, it's like I don't want that stuff. And, you know, I'm not quite to that point of like, maybe I can do something about it. I'm at that point where it's like, I'm confused and scared and, and, and worked up about it. And well, uh, what am I going to do about it? I'm going to blog about it. Or I'm not going to blog about it because I just can't handle it right now. Or, you know, maybe six months from now, I'll know what to do. But right now, I'm just sort of like being reactive.
0: One of the things that I first remember reading on your site when I first discovered it and was pouring through your archives was a list that I can't find anymore. And it was like a one-liner summing up each year that you'd had. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering why you took that down.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that used to be on my about page. Um, The last redesign I did, I, I took it off just because, well, actually, I don't know why I took it off. i You know, maybe it's an age thing. Maybe it's just like, you know, when when you're 37, 38, 39, and you don't want to sum up your life like that. I I don't know.
0: (laughs) That was a way in which... I think your readers could discover more about you because up until very recently, I didn't get a sense of who you were necessarily through the site because Mm. you were writing about so many disparate topics. You didn't really inject your own personal voice or opinion in other than, well, if Jason is interested in putting it up here, he must be interested in it in some way. But I loved those little sort of one-liners because some of them were wonderfully Funny. Some of them were heartbreaking. There were a couple of years you didn't even want to sum up. Mm. Um, And so it's interesting to see how your voice is now changing what you're currently doing.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the defining attributes of Kotka.org is that there's so much reading in between the lines, Mm -hmm. you know, both like sort of glimpsing who the person is behind the curtain and also what my intent is in posting any particular thing. Like, I think a lot of times people assume that i 'm posting something because I agree with it or don 't agree with it or but it, you know it 's hard to tell and I, you know, but I think if you know you 've been reading for ten years you you probably know who I am a little bit i guess and what what I think about things and why i 'm posting certain items
0: well we 've lived your life with you to a degree going from a heartbroken man looking for love to being involved to then not being involved and then being involved again and then engaged and then married and then the birth of your children. and um, But let's talk a little bit about how you go about choosing what to put on the site. So you've written that you've recently realized that one of the topics you cover on your site is people are awesome and look at all the amazing things we can do that we've never done before. And this includes things such as people performing physical feats of novelty and amazement on bikes, on skates, on skis, on skateboards, kids from the projects making the cover of Fortune magazine, scientists building a tiny sun in California, inventing 3D printers for human tissue or quietly but completely changing how people think about space and time and so on and so on. So how do you decide what to write about? How many things do you have to read before you decide this is kotkey worthy?
2: Um so, I mean some days are easier than others. Some days I run across like six things right away in the morning and and you know I write about them and then, you know, that, that day's work is kind of done. Some days I just don't find stuff and I just don't you know nothing is quite Right, I guess.
0: Do you try to do six a day? It's funny because of all these years of reading I've never actually counted how many poses you do a day.
2: Yeah, I mean I think six is is sort of the magic number right now. It used to be more. Um I've kind of scaled back and, you know, tried to spend a little more time in, in being choosy rather than doing twelve things a day that aren't as good, maybe. One thing I try to focus on a lot is picking stuff that's gonna be more or less timeless rather than Here's what's going on right now in the news. And I think if you, if you go back in the archives, you, you know, a lot of the stuff, it's like, oh, that's, that's interesting. You know, that's still interesting. It's not like, oh, this is irrelevant because it was about, you know, like, of course, you know, Facebook bought Instagram for a billion dollars like eight months ago. It's like nobody cares about that, you know, six years from now. But, uh, you know, the thing where the, you mentioned the, um, the physicist in, in, in California that built the thing to basically create a tiny sun you know, and it's all these hugely sort of powerful machine, you know, that that's like fascinating at any point, you know, it's like they're trying to, you know, they're building the sun <laughs> in California. <laughs> I know, of it's cu- incredible. <laughs> I mean, of course they would build it, in, build it in California.
0: Now, do you still read or follow roughly 300 sites a day? I read that quote some time ago.
2: Uh, I don't do that anymore. I used to use so I used to use an RSS reader. I, I used Google Reader religiously. Like I sort of lived in there as far as like, you know, finding information. I had tons of sources and feeds coming in and all that sort of stuff. And I stopped doing that. I'm not sure when it was, maybe about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Because I feel like Twitter has completely replaced RSS for me. Like as In a, what way? Just as a source of, of information that's timely and relevant and of interest to me. It's actually a couple of sites. It's Twitter and then uh, there's a site called Stellar that's actually – Isn't that yours? Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. And people have accused me for uh, of, of building it just so that I can use it to find stuff for Kotka.org.
0: Well, isn't that what most people invent things for? A way to make their lives easier, better, more interesting?
2: Yeah, but that's not why I did it. Oh, it, okay. just, it just happens that it works very well for doing that.
0: So we'll talk about what that is a little bit so that our listeners understand what it is you've created beyond Kotki and how it helps you find better information to put on Kotki.
2: Stellar is, is a site. Um, you can authenticate a bunch of different services on it right now. I have Twitter, uh, Flickr, Vimeo, and YouTube. And you can set it up so that Stellar collects your favorites or your likes or whatever from those services and then puts them on Stellar in one place. And then I can, I as a Stellar user can follow other people's favorites. And so you get this view of what all my, you know, I get this view of what all my friends are favoriting sort of across the web. And it surprises me how well it, it works, um, how good the information is. And, you know, you're basically, you're taking this social media sort of mess of like all this crap that people are pumping out and you're skimming off like the top 0.1 percent of the good stuff. And that's what you see. And a lot of people use it in, you know, they don't read Twitter anymore. They read Stellar because they get, you know, kind of the stuff that they really want to see and and the rest of it they don't have to worry about.
0: Is Stellar bigger than Kotki now? No. And do you hope that it will get bigger? Are you looking to grow it? Are you looking to sell it?
2: You know, originally I was, you know, I was very enthusiastic about it and I wanted to, you know, pursue it as, as you know, a startup and maybe get funding or figure out how to self, you know, fund it to grow it somehow. And I don't know, I'm not quite there still with it. You know, one of the things that's going on right now is is people are reevaluating what what social media is for and what they want to use it for. You know, companies are fickle with, with regard to their APIs, whether they're going to let you continue to use it on the terms that they set down or if they're going to change the terms or or what. You know, and, and Twitter is very obviously like they're they're changing their terms. They're saying like, yes, we gave you this open API. We love that you built everything on this. But at this point, we're going to scale this back and, and you're going to need our permission to do a lot of, you know, the cool things that you want to do. So... I have to either change a lot of stuff or I have to say, you know, I'm not going to have Twitter as part of that.
0: Hi, I'm Debbie Millman. Canva is great for designing visual content for work, no matter what industry or department you work in. Now, your next presentation with Canva Presentations. Start with a professionally designed template and use it as a springboard for your design. It's a serious time saver. Time to present but can't be there in person? Enter Canva Talking Presentations. Record yourself presenting and add your talking head to your slides so your audience can watch your perfected presentation anywhere, anytime. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work.
1: You're growing a business and you can't afford to slow down.
0: So you answered the question, if you're wondering what I do all day, the answer is throwing stuff out. Kotki.org is not so much what's on the site as what is not chosen for inclusion. I thought that was really interesting because that's technically one of the classic definitions of strategy and positioning, that you position or strategize about what something is as much about what something isn't. Mm So can you elaborate? What is this about the throwing out stuff? Is it just this whole funnel of material that you go through and say, no, 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 yes?
2: I think that's a lot of it. If something is provocative or if something is interesting or something is, you know, whatever, sometimes I still won't post it because of sort of where it comes from, like what source it comes from. Um, What would
0: that be? Give us an example of that.
2: I think yesterday I linked to TechCrunch for the first time ever. Because they actually wrote something interesting about like what is, you know, what does gun control mean when a gun is a set of instructions you can download to a 3D printer and control means like the movie studios trying to control like what movies get released in BitTorrent, so you can have these guns that are basically like torrentable, you know, like wh- what does gun control mean in that context? And I thought that was really interesting. And normally, like I think TechCrunch is kind of a cesspool of they just don't value the same things that I value about the internet. And I find that almost offensive. Why? Because I sort of think it's ruining it. It's too much about the money and it's too much about, like, who's screwing who over and and being deliberately provocative over, you know, being more even-handed, I guess. And I just don't think that's doing anybody any good. You know what what are mean? the
0: sites that you find inspiration from?
2: I like what Andy Bayo does with, with his site, Waxy.org. He recently put on this conference called XOXO out in Portland. I think it was back in October. And he funded the whole thing on Kickstarter. And it was the strangest conference I've ever been to because nobody said a bad thing about anybody or anything. You know, it was so positive and just you know nothing cynical. And it was really nice. It was like being in a safe place. And the Internet, I feel like, doesn't feel like a safe place these days, you know. So it was nice to to have somebody providing a safe place where people could just kind of, you know, be positive, enthusiastic about things, I think. You know, I think Gawker, Gawker Media sets the tone in this in this way. Like, Snarkville. you know, we, yeah, I mean, you know, snarky and cynical, and you know, sort of tearing people down. And, and you did
0: the logo for Gawker.
2: I did, <laughs> I did.
0: <laughs> Wait a second. And they're, and they're still using it.
2: It's a, <laughs> it's a love, it's a love hate thing. Um, you know, I I know Nick Denton, and I used to work for him, and and you know, he had me do the logo which he still inexplicably uses for some reason.
0: Have you ever thought about having a camera over your shoulder to sort of watch the journey that you take over the course of a day with all the sites you read and all the things you go to? That would be fascinating.
2: I don't know if it would. Absolutely. Although it's funny, but because quite a few years ago, I went to this conference out in California and I sat next to Cory Doctorow, who does Boing Boing. He's also a science fiction author, among several other things. And... At that point, like he was really blogging very prolifically on Boing Boing, he would do like twenty or thirty posts a day. Just like I don't know how he did it, and uh, I sat next to him when he was blogging, and I was just sort of like, "Holy crap!" That's I kept like kind of peering over at what he was doing, and it was kind of fascinating, like watch him watch him work because his workflow was a little, it was different than mine. But I'm not sure anybody who wasn't, you know, a blogger trying to do 10 or 12 posts a day would actually care about what that looked like.
0: Do you get pitched a lot? A lot of story ideas? Yeah.
2: Probably 99% of that is just, you know, very quickly discarded.
0: How do you feel when you see the articles
2: that you've discovered on other people's sites? (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, it's, it's like... When you see that stuff, it's like, oh, you know, people are still reading because, you know, I know where I got that and it wasn't from anywhere anybody else was looking, you know. But at the same time, like a lot of the time now it shows up and it's, you know, it's not attributed to, you know, where they found it. It's just sort of like, oh, we found this cool thing. And, you know, I always try to attribute for stuff that I that I post.
0: So you recently launched a redesign of Kotke.org and in a follow-up article to the redesign, you stated that one of your unstated goals with the redesign was to increase the number of people reading the site. And you very specifically stated that you weren't doing it for the money. And so, of course, the question is, how do you make money from the site?
2: I make money with advertising?
0: And you have one, You have a deal with the deck?
2: Yeah, the deck. So, it's, so it's one small
0: square on the entire site? One small square, site.
2: right. And that is very loosely dependent on traffic. I don't get paid per page view. Um, It's a, you know, it's a flat rate and it increases when I'm, you know, doing better, but, you know, not that quickly. And let's see, what else? I've got a little ad for the uh, 37 Signals job board on my site. And then I make money through um, the Amazon Associates program.
0: Ah, I heard people can do really well with that, actually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So do you ever see a place where you have more advertising? Is it something that you're really content with just the way that you have everything presented now? Are you looking to monetize the Kotki brand?
2: <laughs> um, there's a couple of things that I'm looking at doing. Um, John Gruber does RSS sponsorships on his site, and he does very well with them. And it's something that I tried a couple of years ago, and it didn't work really well for my site. You know, Daring Fireball is very Apple-centric, and... There's a marketplace, the app store, that dovetails very nicely into people paying Gruber money in order to advertise their you know their app on the app store so that they can sell more apps. There's like a direct correlation there, and um I think you know advertisers a lot of times they don't really know what to do with media outlets; they're kind of all over the board that don't have any kind of general subject area like mine. You know, they see that and it's like, well, who read, you know, who reads this? Like, do, you know, pet enthusiasts read this? Do Apple enthusiasts read this? It's not broken down. It's like I, you know, my readers are like science nerds who also like literature, but also play stupid iOS games. You know,
0: And like, like Russian car chases. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> you know, and it's hard. I think it's hard for advertisers to kind of wrap, you know, their heads around that. And, you know, which is what makes the deck nice. It's it's it's. It's something that I just do not have to worry about. Like a check is deposited in my bank account every month on the same day. I never have to worry about the ads like being popovers or pop unders or, you know, somebody wants to take over my site or anything like that. It's just it it is what it is and it makes what it makes. And I never have to think about it. Like I never think about the advertising part of the site. That's like my, you know, wall between advertising and editorial. Like I never think about the advertising. So I'm always thinking about the editorial.
0: So I want to go back in time a little bit and talk to you about some of your very, very first posts on Kotki back when you launched in 1998. So I want to start with the first Kotki.org post you ever wrote. It was March 14th, 1998, and it was simply titled, Why? I decided I need to start writing things down because I forget, because I think better and feel better when I write. I used to write often but got away from it. So here it is again. But you ask, Jason... Why not keep a private diary? Because I'd never keep up a private diary. I need to force myself to write this. So I made it into content. Since it's content, I feel obligated to keep it up to date. See these games I have to play with myself? Pretty good game. (laughs) 21,000 posts later. (laughs) I would say that was successful. Now, at that time, you also included what you called the fun meter. And this was a star system that rated how well that day had gone for you. Mm -hmm. It seems as though the days back then were more happy than sad, yet you no longer include the fun meter. (laughs) (laughs) So about one week later, you wrote a very poignant post. It was called True Love, and you wrote this March 20th, 1998. I went grocery shopping last night at the local superstore. Afterwards, I noticed a young couple in the parking lot. They were dancing, spinning and twirling together, hugging, kissing, oblivious to the ten or so people watching them. I was happy because I was witnessing true love, trademarked, like in the movies. My happiness quickly passed, much to my surprise and chagrin. It turned to sadness and just a little bit of jealousy. I've never experienced true love before, not even close, and that made me sad. So when did you meet Meg, your wife?
2: This is b- embarrassing beyond belief, Debbie. Good. <laughs> did you meet
0: through blogging? Because she's obviously a pioneer in the world of blogging. It has to have been through blogging, right?
2: Listeners will note that I'm squirming in my chair. Um, <laughs> and you're just a little bit blushing, but yeah. I kind of you
0: look adorable. So did you meet through blogging?
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we were, we were aware of each other's sights. You know, she was out in San Francisco working on Blogger with her business partner, Evan Williams. And I was in Minneapolis. I was working uh, as a web designer for this company called B-Swing, but also still doing Kotkin and, and things like that. And we both got invited to be on a panel about weblogs at South by Southwest in March of 2000. And, you know, obviously, like we knew a bunch of folks in common and things like that. and And I don't know, just kind of hit it off. And, you know, things went from there.
0: So now you have two children together. Mm-hmm. Um, how has your writing changed since you're a father? I
2: don't know, It's interesting to think back about, you know, those early posts because they were a lot more personal. They were a lot more diary-like. And I think I used to inject a lot more of myself into the site. And I think since becoming a dad, it's, you know, there's been a little less of me. It's been a little more, I don't know if clinical is the right word, but a little just a little more standoffish as far as, like, revealing personal details about, about me or my family or or things like that. You know, including like where we live and you know, you get into all these issues about your kids and, you know, how much privacy they have and how much, you know, safety they should have. You know, as far as like, okay, do we, you know, do we post their pictures on Instagram? Like Ollie's 5 now. Like he looks like who he looks like and it's easy to spot him on the street. And I know people have, like people have seen us on the street like that's Ollie and that's Jason, and that's Minna, and that's Meg, and, like, I don't know that person. You know, luckily, you know, my site isn't that inflammatory or controversial, but if it were, you know, there would there would be potential safety issues around that. I know friends who run sites who have had problems with, with stalkers and, and things like that, and, and I think that my reaction to that is just sort of, like, do less. Find a way to make your point without being so kind of vehement about it or so, like, overt about it, I guess.
0: So, the last post that I want to specifically reference and ask you about is one that you wrote on March 22nd, 1998. And this probably goes straight to the issue of privacy versus public. It was a one line post that reads as follows One of my best days ever. What happened? Tell us what happened. Um, you left us hanging there, Jason.
2: I, I left it intentionally vague and it so. Okay. <laughs>
0: now, Jason, for the last year, your wife, Meg Horahan, has been recording her lack of shopping. And I believe that the site that she's writing on is called Make It Do. Yeah. So she's not buying anything all year unless she absolutely positively has to. So no clothes, no shoes, the only thing that she's buying is food, but she's also trying to do that local. Right. What has that experience been like?
2: Uh, it's been interesting because I think that, you know, I'm not a I'm not a huge consumer. Like I don't buy things and I don't like buying things. I don't like to go shopping, you know, and personally that's just like I don't like having a lot of stuff. And partially, you know, it's because it's sort of the typical sort of male thing about not liking shopping, you know, I think those two things together. And I think I've actually beaten her this year in even shopping less than she has, you know, still.
0: So, Jason, the last question I want to ask you is about your Twitter feed. I understand that org has approximately 186,194 Twitter followers, But apparently you also have a Twitter feed for your hoodie, and it has a following of approximately 266 people. So I want to know what made you decide to create a Twitter feed for a sweatshirt.
2: I did not create that Twitter feed.
0: Oh, somebody else did. Somebody else did. And why is that? Why did they do that? You're not wearing a hoodie now. No, I'm... I'm not.
2: So this is back when I was, you know, when I was still sort of stellar, I think was fairly new. And, you know, I was pretending to be like an important like startup CEO. You know.
0: How does one do that?
2: You buy a hoodie. You you go you go and you buy you go to Uniqlo and you buy a hoodie for twenty six dollars and then you're a startup CEO.
0: And and you have to wear the plastic thongy shoes,
2: right? Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> I'm 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 sure, I'm sure there's a whole like thing. But I, I went I went for the hoodie, you know. Zuckerberg wears a hoodie, uh, Dennis Crowley who who does Foursquare wears a hoodie. So I did that, you know, and i took a picture of myself and posted it to Instagram, and I said, okay, I've got my startup hoodie, you know, and, and someone took the opportunity to create a Twitter account for my clothing.
0: <laughs> I think it's really charming. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I still don't know who it is. Oh, I have no idea. that's fantastic. I have no
0: idea. Jason, thank you so much for coming on Design Matters. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Sure. To learn more about Jason Kotke, please visit kotke.org like to thank you for listening. And remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. And Debbie Melman, and I look forward to talking with you again soon.
3: Debbie's new book, Why Design Matters, Conversations with the World's Most Creative People, is coming out in February of 2022. Design Matters is produced for the TED Audio Collective by Curtis Fox Productions. Interviews are usually recorded at the School of Visual Arts Master's in Branding Program in New York City, the first and longest-running branding program in the world. The Editor-in-Chief of Design Matters Media
2: is Emily Wyland.